The Abstract Athlete Podcast, a collision of art, sports, and science. Under the same sun, we are. Welcome, everyone. As always, we want to say thank you to everyone for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. We really appreciate the support and want to say thanks to our amazing sponsors and our growing number of supporters. A reminder to check out our website, theabstractathlete.com, for upcoming events and information. And please follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Music for today's podcast was provided by The Dammit's. Um, a really amazing band. You need to check out their new release, Crooked Things. You can find that on Bandcamp and iTunes. Also, we want to make sure that you listen to our new podcast, The Abstract Doctors Podcast with Dr. Ron Garbo and Dr. David Sepiu. You can find us at theabstractdoctors.com and social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors. Really thrilled today to talk with veteran Alicia Dietz. Going to talk about her life, her military background, and a few stories of her role as a Black Hawk helicopter pilot, and of course of her ever-growing art career. Make sure to check out her work on Instagram at Alicia Dietz, that's D-I-E-T-Z Studios. With that, let's welcome Alicia Dietz. stuff so welcome welcome to the abstract athlete podcast uh super excited to have alicia Dietz on with us today a veteran so we're gonna be talking a little bit about your military history your art history and a lot of things and actually we're gonna do something new this time at the end of this podcast we're gonna do a five questions like bullet fast questions yes <laughs> Super random, super random. We're going to test it out. So anyways, um, welcome. Uh, thank you for doing this. As usual, we've known each other for, what, like 10 years now? Almost, yeah. Okay. I don't even remember. Like, I get kind of, I can't even remember names and stuff. So, um, But yeah, like, why not just, um, just like give us a background, like uh, what, you know, like where you're from, what you did, um, like your military history. Like, you got to, I mean... An amazing like, like you're a pilot a helicopter pilot like that's wild like i don't you're the only helicopter pilot i've ever met so i i mean i think that's cool like so that's some of the stuff i think would be cool is just to like really um get into a little bit of what that experience is like because that's got to be I mean, and does it affect your artwork and um just stuff like that so i mean you know just let let's just get into it let's dive into it yeah well, I'll, I'll try and give the real condensed version of the last 40 years, but... <laughs> <laughs> we don't want condensed numbers. Um, I guess the easiest place to start is, is I grew up in Ohio, and my mom was a Go nurse. Bucks. Yeah. Well, I don't... 
<laughs> oh, no, I'm, we have to cut that thing off yeah, already. I'm Ohio University, um, so go that's Bobcats. Okay. That's okay, too. That's okay, too. <laughs> they forced Ohio State be, to become the Ohio oh, State. Oh, jeez, Louise. Don't it even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so growing up in Ohio, my mom was a nurse, and so I remember from a very young age going to the hospital that she worked at and watching the helicopters land on the rooftops. Oh, wow. And, <clears throat> I mean, young, young. <clears throat> you know, at grade school, and thinking that's what I want to do. I want to be a pilot. And so I was really into the space program and, you know, followed followed all that. Um, and so... Did you go down to Wright-Patterson a lot? A couple times. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember doing that as a kid as well. Mm-hmm. And that was just like such a cool experience. Mm-hmm. And Judy Resnick was from Akron, so yep. she was like a hero of mine growing up. And... Um, so when I got into high school, I started calling around to the medevac pilots, asking them how they became helicopter pilots and nine out of 10 of them would say the military. So I started looking into the military, my uncle, um, so when, like you were a teenager, you said, yeah, I was in oh, high wow. school because okay. I was deciding what to do after, after high school. My, my uncle was a army helicopter pilot. My cousin was my, my wow. sort of side of that side of the family. They were, they were military. My parents don't have any military background, but I was exposed to, right, right, right. to the military and to what you could, you know, you could go in as an officer if you did ROTC. So I started um, looking at which branch I wanted to do, and the Army was, I, it sort of felt like it would fit me like a glove. So um, I did ROTC through college, uh, Ohio University, and then um, I graduated June of 2001, to reference you in time and space, <laughs> and... I was supposed to start flight school that following January. Well, of course, I got a call in October, very early October, saying things have changed. We, you're going to come to flight school early. So I, um, I started what flight did you school. Gra- what did you graduate from OU in? Was uh, it advertising and journalism. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, that, like again, yeah. I think that that just adds to your like. What I find interesting about you is like you have a very diverse background in terms of what you do um and what you're interested in yeah and i think it's taken a long time to understand how that advertising journalism has actually worked its way into uh what i do now for a decade it seemed like that was the furthest thing from being a helicopter pilot but (laughs) now being you know owning my own business it actually has really come back into play a lot Right. Um, so yeah, I was at flight school for a year and a half in Fort Rucker, Alabama, and then my first, <laughs> my first flight out of the confines of Alabama was flying over Baghdad. Whoa! So it was a, it was, it was a, a very, very quick learning experience. I learned a lot in a very short period of time. So I mean, like time, time wise, like what was that like? You went through flight school, which takes... About a year and a half. I was in Iraq in 2003. Wow. I mean, that's intense. It was quick. It was, I mean, it was just, yeah, I... Is that why they upped your flight school? Is just because they needed people? Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I like, again, like for people, I mean, like me, that's, you know, I, I have no military background and just like to imagine that kind of turnover where it's i just graduated from school i just got a journey and now i'm in baghdad flying over baghdad i mean that's 
intense. Yeah, and and of course I was with um, a much more senior pilot. Like I was, there's two pilots in a in a Blackhawk, um, and so I was the junior pilot, um, which then of course puts more pressure on the senior pilot. Right. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was a pretty intense period of just sometimes you don't know what you don't know, which was certainly how how I was, you know, looking back at it. Right. Um, now 2020 vision here but um yeah it was it was i learned a lot Hmm. and i i mean i just can't even like grasp that in some ways um so then you you were in the military until like how like i was in for 10 years so i got out yeah uh, just over 10 so i got out yeah around 2011 2012 and then you went back to school and that so like what what was the okay so you have the journalism and the advertising degree why did you go back to school for art so when i was getting out of the army which was a decision that took me two years to make uh you know just especially you know i was right at that 10 year mark and so it's real easy just to be like okay i'm halfway there right do another 10 get retirement you know all that um so it was it was not a quick decision deciding what to do next um but i was at a point in my life where i was like i'm young enough that i can start a new career Right. and do something completely different and sort of just hit a reset button and, and go from there. And I had seen so many of um, both officers and non-commissioned officers that I worked with that stayed in until retirement, and then they're like 42, 44, and they're trying to enter back into the workplace, into the civilian world. And, right. well, and, you know, popular culture doesn't know how to integrate veterans in either it's sort right. of like a, a well, that's, that's door. Same, yeah that's, i think we talked about this you and i or maybe i know you guys talked about it at the symposium we had a year and a half ago is that it's the same situation with athletes mm-hmm. it's like you retire early and then it's like a what if scenario and it's like how how do i acclimate back into the world yeah and and so like again like it's that that to me is like a really interesting connection between vets and and um and retired athletes absolutely so, yeah i but it, it's do you okay so like it's interesting to hear you say that you were really interested in well maybe not military growing up because you but you're interested in flying yes um but do you were you a kid that like sat at the kitchen table and drew or painted or i mean were you an artist i <laughs> looking back at it like Yes, I drew a lot. I um, uh, my drawings probably when I was eight are probably better than what they are now. <laughs> <laughs> I can say um, the same thing. <laughs> so two D is not my no. jam, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I did, and I would take art classes, and I was very much into art. And when getting into woodworking, my dad um, and my gra- grandfather they had like really minimal shops um and my dad had just some tools in in the basement nothing crazy but over the course of probably you know seven or eight years he he built our family room furniture everything (laughs) from the coffee table to the end table to the remember entertainment stands where you put the tv in it yeah um so we had one of those yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um so i was exposed to wood 
at a very early age, and it, I didn't circle back around to it until actually I was in the military. And they have, oh, okay. yeah, they have um, MWR facilities, morale, wellness, and recreation. And they're places very much like the Visual Arts Center on a much more condensed scale, much right. smaller scale. But you could go in and learn how to throw a clay pot or oh, that's awesome. uh, or go in the wood shop. And so that's what I would do to relax, especially in flight school when I had, um, you know, you're just studying and it's really intense. And I would do that just on a Saturday afternoon and that would be my release and right, way, right, right. way of relaxing. No, but again, like, again, what's fascinating to me, like, again, we've known each other for 10 years and these things are that I did not know. Mm-hmm. And that's like really cool to hear that it it's actually, there's a history in it to you where it's, you know, the, the, the pilot thing came from extended family, but not really. I mean, you were interested in it. You just happened to have two relatives that were also, that's crazy by the yeah. way, like that there's, um, and then that the, the woodworking connection really comes from your dad. I mm-hmm. mean, that's like really cool. Yeah. Um, did have you ever made anything or did you ever make anything together, like when you were a kid? Um, or did you help in yeah, the shop? Yeah, I mean, nothing like furniture-wise, um, but like I remember making lightning bug catchers <laughs> as a kid, you right. know, and things like that. And he certainly comes and helps me now. Yeah. Um, he loves coming and being in my that's, shop. And but See, that's awesome. <laughs> it's great. He's like, oh, I wish we would have had this tool. When, when yeah, I no, because you it. have an absolute amazing shop. I mean, it's you know yeah. it's just top of the line like and it's just yeah. it's a cool space now i i mean i think that that's that's really inner i mean and there's would you say like that your like the furniture thing has always kind of been there but you've also done some real um military based works um which are like super powerful like we the one we brought last year to the event um with the florida panthers of, I don't remember the name of it, the, the Fallen Soldiers. Fallen Soldiers, yeah. yep. Okay. Um, and to watch, and again, like this is during a hockey game, but to watch people stand around it and, and, and really take it in. Like it's kind of, you know, not to compare it to the Vietnam, Vietnam Memorial or something, but it is like very much like that. And the experience, like watching, it's, it's interesting to watch people watch. And yeah. it was super powerful to me. Like, I remember I took a couple pictures that I, th- I believe I sent to you. And in particular, this one lady that I believe almost might have been praying or really just kind of absorbing it, where she stood there for minutes. And, yeah, I mean, it, again, it's, I, I use the word powerful. I don't know any, in any other way to say it. but Yeah, that piece, just to sort of give everyone a visual reference of what it is, is a... Um, the battlefield cross, which is um, the Kevlar, the weapon, and the boots, and it when a, a soldier is killed, and when I say soldier, I mean all branches. I'm yeah, just yeah. an army girl, so soldier <laughs> is what rolls off the tongue. Um, when a soldier is killed there during the memorial service, you have that battlefield cross there, and their dog tags and their boots are are there for it, and so. Uh, what I did was carve that um, out of wood, hand carved, and it's at human height. So it's it's a very, you know, its presence is felt. And I think I really needed to make that piece. Uh, that was my first piece in grad school. And I 
not only carved the entire piece, but then wrote each and every of the now almost 7,000 soldiers killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. And for me, the like the carving and the the removing of the layers of the wood and the way that my hand would cramp up after hours and hours and hours of writing names, um, it it became a penance for me right. in a way. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time what why I needed to make that piece so much. Um, but looking back at it, that that's the reason. And I think what has been, life is cyclical in so many ways. And what has been really powerful about that piece, I made it because I needed to make it. But now that it's out in the world, I see how it affects so many other people. And, and I've had family members come here to the house to to see it. And their brother is, their right. brother's names written on there, their daughter's names written on there. And, you know, they can spend time with that piece and it's in all in chronological order. So we can find right. their family uh, member's name. And just, there's been something in it where they feel that because I wrote that name, that someone beyond their family and their friend group has recognized the sacrifice. Yep. And so, yeah, it's been, that that piece, it continues to evolve, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I continue to add names, um, but it has evolved in a way that I could have never expected. Does the the other piece that we showed at 1708, is that also evolving? Because there's a similarity in terms of the, the connectedness. Now, this one maybe is a little bit more directed, I guess, where the other one, I, I mean, maybe I'll let you explain it, but um, I mean, there is like that is continually being added to as well, correct? Yeah, so collective cadence uh, is what we showed at 1708, and that's that was my thesis project, and that was... Um, a collection of stories from veterans and their families. And they would send me, basically, I was asking for sort of a, a moment in time to one event for them to uh, talk about. And so for some people, it was like a, a, a story of camaraderie or of like joy of companionship, like teamwork or something like that in the military. And for other people, it was a very dark moment. Right. Um, and so people were very open um, with with sharing some of their experiences. And I took those stories and then um, extracted um, some words, not changing anything or even the order, but then put them into poetic form, which is etched on the glass um, in front of images that they sent. So it's, um, I wish it could be evolving more. Right. Um, Right now, I'm I'm sort of running my running my business, and so that doesn't pay the bills. But that also that's sort of like my passion project right. that I keep. No, and I get. I mean, I guess that's to. like there is. Do you do you think that there's a difference between like your furniture work and maybe I don't want to say it's more personal work, but there, I mean more personal work. I mean, obviously, I think that you're an artist, so there's a connectedness in some capacity, but do you find it you use the word that the, the one piece is that your penance is there is that same kind of 
emotion go into these other pieces? And this is a weird question in some way, but you know what I'm no, saying? Like, I, yeah, it, I know what you're saying. And if someone asked me that question a, a little bit ago, and it made me sort of pause and think. For me, there is a very direct connectedness. Um, and one of the reasons why I like wood so much is no matter what I no matter what I make, if it's a furniture commission, a set of chairs and a table, or something like Fallen Soldiers, I always have a element of hand-carved, a hand-carved element in in the piece. So your hand is... My hand is truly a part of it. And that's because as I am carving, there's no machines on the shop. The dust collection is off. I I turn off the music. It's just, it's me in the wood. and And it's this like, it's really this place of like silence and and solitude and I am working with the wood and because of grain and and a bunch of different things with wood like you you can fight it or you can go with it and like you're you're like the two of you are like working together I know it sounds like cheesy but it's (sighs) it is it's this it takes me to another level of craft when I'm doing that and and when I'm carving away at the wood it's exposing different layers of the wood and and I feel like I can shed some of my own layers when I do that and so I do that whether it's a furniture commission or right. or a more conceptual piece yeah but that I mean I get, we use the word flow and yeah. I think you get in into that like as an artist if you even if you if you just do it like you're gonna get into that space but we're, you know, again, like everybody comes from different spaces. So I do think it, it is like really interesting to, um, to hear you say that there is like a relationship between the two. Because, you know, I mean, I think that that hand being in it, obviously, that the real hand as opposed to like a CNC router or something like that puts the you in it, which makes it personal. Like yeah. it can't not be personal. So... I don't know. I think that's we got completely off topic, but where so so you came back to school. I was just like thinking we were like so down the rabbit hole right now, which I like. So, but so you came back to school, and you graduated what ten years ago at this point. So I, when I was getting out of the army, I was I called around just like I did when I was figuring out how to become a helicopter pilot. I was calling around to furniture makers because I was like, this could be a really interesting. New career. Oh, so you'd thought about doing that before going to school? Yeah. Okay. So as I was getting out of the army, I'm like, what's next? Um, so I called around to furniture makers and asked them how they got their training and uh, quite a varied answers for that. But I uh, ended up going to... You're very thorough, by the way, with your... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, which I like. I mean, because like to, to really go to that place of finding out how other people got there, I think it, most people don't do that. I'm pretty detail oriented. I, I think that's why being a helicopter pilot and I was a maintenance test pilot, so it's it's very technical. Yeah. Um, and you really, you know, there's a checklist. It's I don't know. It, and do you bring me. that into the art? <laughs> yes. Okay, for, so that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I ended up at uh, Vermont Woodworking School up in Vermont, and that was a fantastic experience. Two years up there learning hand-cut dovetails, Morrison tenon joinery, like all of the traditional furniture-making um, skills. And during that time, you have to do um, an internship. And so I 
<laughs> cold called, basically. I wrote an email to Wendy Mariama out in California, and I said, you need hey. someone to work <laughs> for you. You know, my mom always said, this is something that I just rings true over and over again. She said, all they can say is no. Yep. So I have never... I have just used that philosophy, and it has gotten me so many places where I would have never expected. Absolutely. Like, just ask, yep. and it's amazing how generous people can be. I, I 100% agree. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think most people ask. Yeah. And it's most people actually enjoy that because mm-hmm. there's there's kind of the learning experience for them as well. Yeah. Because I'm sure – so you ended up working for – Yeah. I was out there in Cal- San Diego, California for oh, that a sucks. summer. San Diego's oh, awful. I know. I yeah. It, Ooh, it was it rained like 4 <laughs> hours while I was out there for like 3 months. It was um, probably like 3 hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. But. Um it that summer changed the trajectory of these past whatever that was 2014. So, you know, these past six years, right. uh, that summer changed my trajectory. She, she is a master crafts person, and but what she does is then take her technical skills and bring concept into it. And so she uses her work to talk about the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II right. or the killing of elephants for their tusks. So she's really talking about these much things much larger than herself. And so she was the one that really encouraged me to tell my military story through through art and through craft. And do, so that, I mean, that becomes like really interesting and it goes back to what we were just talking about, about the connectedness. But do you, like when you get a commission, do you still think about, is there still that military sense that goes into, you know what I mean? Like that to goes into each piece or is it, commissions are difficult for one because people are looking for something that's not made but they like your work. But if you make something that it's, it's, I always hate that idea personally, but um, because I always feel like, just like, just buy a piece that's already made because like to make something is kind of difficult because I can't get in your head. Yeah. You know what? I think the military, I think being, um, being in the military though has helped me with that mindset because I, honestly, Grad school was the hardest time for me because it's like, you can do whatever you want. And I'm like, yeah. I need structure. Right. <laughs> um, I need, a, like, I work very well in a structured environment. And that doesn't, you know, I think people can stereotype what what, what that means. But for me, working with a commission is, is, is actually structure. a wonderful starting right. point because there is somewhere to start from and, you know, we can go 12 different ways on it and that really comes through in the design process but i really having that sort of that route to start from right. really helps me but i think that you know like I, I believe i've talked about this on other podcasts and maybe about myself but maybe with other people is that that structure because my personal athletic background is that's my structure like i am used to practicing every day yeah and I've always carried that with me and particularly now I mean I still do the workout stuff but I particularly do that in my studio like I'm in my studio every day whether it's for 20 minutes whether it's for two hours whatever because I I'm the same way I need that kind of ritual mm-hmm. and so 
I, it's, I think it's always fascinating to hear, you know, for, you know, the people that we work with, because it's, it's pretty similar. That idea of it's a practice. It's like, and you get better because you practice. It doesn't mean you're going to, there's no perfect, but that idea of the structure of having like this daily routine, this daily training, however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. So I think it becomes like really interesting to hear those stories. And I'm, you know, curious to hear how people that don't have this background and like, what if they implement that structure in their world? Like, how does that change Hmm. how they they do stuff so yeah and i think it's really sort of it's so especially when you're working on your own it's so about how you best function and like trying to figure that out is (laughs) is is its own journey um but i think one of the things that has really aided me in in woodworking especially is that the mindset that you have to have when you're in the the army I would say or the mindset that I had was that you're looking at things from an overview perspective and in a very minutia detail both at the same time when I was planning air missions you're planning days or sometimes even weeks out you're coordinating with ground troops you're coordinating with the Air Force you you're doing all this coordination and and this whole plan and you you, you go through all these sort of dry runs and all this and then of course the minute you lift up off the ground you know no plan survives first contact right, so right. you're constantly then taking all that knowledge that you had from the planning and, and all of your previous experiences and everything, and you're taking all that information in real time and making adjustments. So you're assessing, disseminating that information, executing again, and then seeing what the next what the next thing is, and then assessing, executing. And so you're constantly sort of changing the plan and, and continuing forward. Like, they teach you that... <laughs> Inaction is worse than making not the most perfect decision. Like right. it's better to make an imperfect decision and continue moving forward than to stand still. Um, so that mindset has really aided in in the workshop because you have all these plan. Even just a simple table, you have all these plans. Everything's laid out in detail and then you go to the table saw and you cut something an eighth of an inch shorter right and so now you're <laughs> now you're assessing and deciding what to do right. you know so you, you allow you allow for for changing yeah for for serendipity whatever i mean yeah. whatever the thing you know because i i mean i think that that's interesting because again going with your the rigidity of how you like work and how you act to allow that i still think that's where the art is, I guess, in some way. Like, you know, um, I just totally lost my train of thought what I was going to ask So, no, but I, I, it's, I, I've always been like a fan of your work and I'm always, um, you know, I was excited as hell, like right when we, you know, like initially started talking about this and to be able to work with you uh, in multiple ways and to see, for me, like it is like to see how your work shifted um where it is like more furniture based but again like to to think about the connection between that 
and and like the more military based works and how how it evolves and you know and again like i'm i become curious to like see how things change in five years or five weeks you know i mean again like do you like for instance you know this is like these these stupid ass art questions but like when you get a commission do you does it spawn other ideas for you you know i mean like in in the maybe it's the more personal work or other furniture pieces from that from that idea and like how does that how does that manifest because you're busy like doing i mean you're you know like you're doing a damn good i mean really truly like because it's hard to survive as being yeah. just an artist and you're doing that yeah and like so how does like say for instance you you got a commission for a table or something and something like bing the light bulb goes off like how do you deal with that as an artist do you like draw it out just so you don't forget or do you have time to make it I mean, yeah that's that's a great question um a lot of the things that I well one I can't I honestly can't draw I like I do <laughs> sorry I forgot about the 2d thing I do a real rough drawing um and then <laughs> go to sketch up no I do a lot of models actually okay um building things um out of both clay or um or styrofoam a lot, or foam board. Um, so I have a lot of different models sitting cool. around, and it's amazing how even if one project doesn't go to completion, or or a lot of times I'll give people three design options, and and they'll choose one, or they'll cho- choose an aspect of this one, an aspect of that one, and we'll right. combine it into another one. But like those, I'm just sort of stockpiling now those designs, and it's interesting how even if it's a project that's not even related to one that I did three projects ago there's an element from that that I'm like oh I really want to pull that element in and and put it in this new one and I think that also lends because I'm working with a lot of mixed materials especially concrete and wood now um, and you all really need to check out the work because it's pretty badass. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's so th- what I love about the, those two materials in particular is, is wood is very exacting and precise and very technical. And, and you have to angles and everything's just ver- very much down to the 16th of an inch. Um, and with concrete, you make the form. And you, there's a lot that you can control in making that form. But then once you mix and pour that concrete it is doing it's it's fluid in in many ways (laughs) uh, both in material and mindset and so your mindset has to be fluid too you have to be able to just let the material do its thing and only know that you can only control it up to a point and so balancing those two materials and and even how we perceive those two materials one as hard and cold and and the other is right, like right. this warm you know wood is so warm so to but concrete to bring that those heat, together that heat of concrete when it's when it's setting oh. people because i used to dig footers uh-huh. so i you know remember like when people work with concrete for the first time like it's almost like the shock it's like what's happening right now it's like yeah. that's the chemical composition coming together and like so exactly. it's pretty wild it is it's really wild yeah yeah i so i i love that sort of combination so especially now that i'm working a lot with both of those materials i find that elements from a project for for 
projects ago or even just drawings or sketches or right. models from four projects ago are coming back and, and finding their way into, into a new project. Just wanted to take a quick second to remind everyone to check out Alicia Dietz's work at Alicia Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z Studio on Instagram, and make sure to check out and listen to our new podcast, The Abstract Doctors Podcast, which you can find at theabstractdoctors.com and social media platforms. Remember, The Abstract Athlete Creative Training Journal is available on Amazon and our web shop, theabstractathlete.com. Now back to Alicia Dietz. And this is going to go back to like a little bit of the beginning intro, but you have a journalism degree. So, I mean, do you have any relation? Does that come out in any way to you? I mean, I mean, maybe it, maybe it doesn't come out visually, um, mm-hmm. but does it like still play a part in your world? Someone had to point this out to me, actually. Um, <laughs> Catherine Hall, the curator down at Houston Center for Contemporary Craft, I showed... Um, we had a exhibition down there, uh, United by Hand. Uh, I was in with Drew Cameron of Combat Papers and Aaron Toole, um, who throws cups. And um, it's, it was a veteran exhibition. And so, you, you know, we were through the course of that talking back and forth. And, and I just sort of made the joke of, oh, yeah, I got a journalism degree, <laughs> you, know, you know, and I haven't used it since. And she's like, what? No, it's so evident in your work. And so it was really interesting to hear that because with Collective Cadence in particular, I am interviewing or people are sending me stories. It's it's all about the story and sort of extracting sort of those key elements of the story to distill it for the, the viewer to, to take in. And so that storytelling aspect of it I think, and and sort of the condensedness of it that I was doing, especially for that project in advertising, you're taking big ideas and condensing it down into right. four words. And that was the other thing I was going to ask, does advertising play a part in it? I mean, again, like the, the diversity of your background and like what you've done and what you're doing and, and how things, you know, are twisting and turning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like really interesting, the, the, the storytelling aspect. Because it doesn't have to be literal written words to be a story. Like this, this idea of how you know you said the wood speaks to you, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and that's that that that's the story. Like in how your, I'm doing hand gestures right now just for those <laughs> of you, um, but how like your hands are manipulating and and responding to that is like kind of this beautiful story of the. It is like it's a relationship almost. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that that's, you know, like for people that don't do this, which they should, um, that understanding of like how, you know, you said it's kind of cheesy, but how things like do kind of speak to you and how you kind of, 
um, it's kind of a call and response, um, which is, you know, like, and you can think about that in the military terms too. Like these, all these, all these kind of things of how, I mean, I think about it in music, like, you know, it's like a blues thing. It's like, you know, the guitar plays and then the singer sings, you know, Mm -hmm. but like how the wood is speaking to you and you're like responding to it. And so I think that. That's it. I don't know. I'm like thinking now my brain's going a thousand miles an hour. And I think that's why people are attracted to some materials and mm-hmm. not to others. Working with glass versus clay versus wood are very different ways of working. And so it's, um, yeah. I is, think- wood, is wood, like, I mean, maybe the history for you of wood is is very, very present and and relevant but do you think that's your favorite medium at the moment i mean like that can always shift sure um because you have worked with you know obviously you said concrete you have like you've etched into the glass Mm -hmm. so that you know um this idea of the umbrella of craft oops of of like what what it encompasses and i actually you know i i don't like um silos of art i mean you're just you're a maker Right. Yeah, I think for me, um, I just always, wood is my base. I always come back to it. It's my first love. And it also is, you can personify wood so easily. You you can count the years that it lived by its tree rings. You can, wood has knots. It has life. It has life. Even when you, even when you, in furniture, it still has life. And so there's just so many things that you can romanticize about it. Like it, a knot is a wound, but then it, it grows around itself and it like, it heals. And there's just, yeah, I I get a little bit sappy. No, but I think that that's think you like that wood. I, I, <laughs> no, but I think that that's actually really, it's really nice to hear how it is affecting you, because I mean, there, wood is kind of human in that sense where it's like we get we get injured, we heal, like whether it's physical or emotionally, mm-hmm. like and and that idea of of living organisms do the same thing just different ways yeah um and i think that you know like again to me it, ma- it makes me look at your work differently in some ways um even though like some of this stuff we've talked about like slightly but just how how you know i, I think i visualize and i don't even want to know but like i visualize now like how you kind of do that call and response and how you know again i'm i'm um, it's my filter of how I would, but like through you in my head or whatever. But that idea of like, as an artist, as a maker, like how you kind of go into a piece and like think and just kind of share your love of the wood and stuff. And I, I mean, I, I just get excited personally, like thinking about, again, like the evolution of your work, like the 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 disc works that you have I, to me, like when you see those in person, they're just, they're so dynamite. And I don't know another word to say. And then they are, there's something like they're, they're like, they're minimal and they're very, they're very, very frontal. Uh, but yet there's like this strange depth to them. Like, and then like I sit there and I start looking at the wood grains potentially 
and I start like looking at the like the perfections and or imperfections in the concrete and mm-hmm. kind of like connecting and then I start thinking about landscape and I start thinking like there's all these like things that start and you know like again like I think the first time I saw it and this is like really bizarre but I did start thinking about like horizon lines and I started thinking about you being up in a helicopter and like looking out I don't know if that's correct oh that's how I I see everything (laughs) as a landscape okay me too (laughs) yeah so yeah no I it's and so that and like the simplicity of it that's i think another thing that i really like about your work is that there's a simplicity but it's so constructed but it doesn't feel that way yeah you know what i mean that's i don't know uh, if that's good or bad for you no that i actually appreciate that because so the disc that you're talking about the live edge yeah circles with the concrete yeah um it's very hard for me to get to that point. I want to throw everything in the kitchen sink into each project. And so that is really where I start. Like I throw everything in and then I start the edit. edit. Yeah. And again, maybe that's where my advertise, my journalism degree, yeah. that process of I just start with everything with just free writing sort of idea of just okay, everything's going to go in there, and then but now it's, it's in the edit. Is that is that also, like, potentially military in terms of... I mean, I assume yeah, I assume sure. in the military, like, you have to absorb everything that, because, you know, you're talking about, like, plans, like, weeks in advance and all this stuff. But when it comes to that time, like, it has to be, like, so, like, in Dialed line. In. Right, yeah. Where you're basically... It's almost like you don't have to think. Right. Yeah, I've spent a lot of my life filtering to boil things down to their most elemental. Um, I It's interesting because when I talk, I tend to ramble. But when I write, I can be very precise. Someone said to me, well, it's, I, I would have sent you um, a shorter email, but I didn't have the time. <laughs> Which is so true. That's absolutely true. Yeah, it's so true. And so I feel like that process in my work, it takes so much more time to get it down to sort of the, to make it sort of what you're talking about, like a little bit more minimalist and and elemental. And that's, I really enjoy that process. There's a serenity to it. Mm -hmm. And again, like I, I mean, I compared this and again, I, I, I don't have a relationship with this, obviously. But I, I compare that to being in a helicopter view of that kind of reductive where it's almost it's almost like you're meditating. Oh, well, I wish that, flying a helicopter were meditating, but I, it's I, not. There's I, a lot happening. I'm sure, I'm sure that there is. But it's I mean, I, I, I guess like it's one of those things where I again, like I'm only projecting, but it's one of those things where I assume once you do it a lot, it is like that riding a bicycle thing. But I mean, again, like I think this is being way too simplistic but that idea of just like being in that zone being like the flow kind of thing where like because you've practiced and because the understanding of different things it's almost like second nature when something like if you're making a piece of work when something goes wrong you kind of know how to resolve that when something going wrong in the air like you know how to resolve it because you've been in that situation whether it's in in practice or or whatever sure yeah one of the things that the the u.s military does which not 
every military does is the the emphasis on emergency procedures for right. example like you practice and practice and practice and you it's rope memorization you have to know the procedure for if x y or z happens and there is this phrase um called staying ahead of the aircraft so at as you're flying, you're you're not thinking about what's happening right now. You're thinking about what's happening in the next five seconds, in the next right. ten seconds, in the next minute. And so you're always you have to stay ahead of the aircraft. And it's so evident when you're behind the aircraft. And of course, everyone has those days when you're behind the aircraft. Yeah. You're it's reacting faster than you are. And so that mindset of sort of always projecting ahead, not. I'm not projecting ahead 10 years down the road because there is no way I could have projected this is where I was going to be right. 10 years from now. But you're projecting ahead just far enough into next week right? <laughs> even just to like I- I'm trying to stay ahead of, of what I'm doing in in the workshop and while also being very vigilant about what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's you're doing both at the same time. What um. You've been really busy this year, um, but what do you, do you have some other like exhibitions or or things coming up, commissions, um, you know, just like thinking about what you're doing or like maybe maybe it's actually better to talk about what you did this year or something because like I think it gives people an understanding of of really truly how busy you are. Yeah, it's it's a it's a balance. Um, I I mean I was everywhere from um, North Dakota to Providence um, this past year. You just year. got back from Providence. I just got back from yeah. Providence, yeah, um, showing some of my uh, more military work. And Chicago, National Veterans Art Museum in Chicago, we had a triennial up there this summer. So, um, yeah, some nice exhibitions, really wonderful opportunities to talk to people um, about my military work. And then um, really – getting rolling and sort of feeling in the flow and the groove um, with my commission-based work. And I'm now starting to get enough work out there that word of mouth is starting to to pick up a little bit. And um, And then you're going to have to hire assistants. Oh, my God. That is my dream. (laughs) (laughs) My dream is to be at a point where I have enough income that I can hire someone to help me because it is a one-woman show right now. That, yeah, it's, being an artist, it seems super glamorous, <laughs> but man, it is not. I mean, I mean, I still like I, I personally like feel like I can't believe how lucky I am to be able to do this, but it's tough. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's full I, I mean, time. Yeah, well, I mean, it's I, you know, I'm assuming you're the same way that you can't turn off your brain, and which becomes difficult because. Yeah, you need to sleep sometimes. But that idea, because, and that's why I think it's interesting, you know, like you've said, I I can't draw or whatever. But like when ideas are coming like a thousand miles an hour, it's like, how do you get all these things out? And, you know, I mean, and and I'm assuming like, like me and, and most artists, like, some of them don't need to come out. Like some of them just need to become the models and like, okay, like you said, you kind of piece things together maybe. Mm -hmm. And like, so the idea of putting it out is actually super beneficial because maybe it becomes attached to something else that's happening and how. And I have a lot of um, what um, I think it's in the book, um, Creative Habit. 
the creative habit. I'm pretty sure it's in that book. She talks about the idea of a swipe folder. So where you get these, um, and I'm continuously keeping, it's, it's more of a digital, but also an, an analog folder of swipe ideas. And that for me comes a lot from nature I always am seeing topography and landscape and horizon. That's just from years of flying a helicopter. So I that's just always present in my work, and it lends so well to wood because there's topography in the grain yeah. so easily. And um, but like I get a lot from reading and from you know listening to podcasts. The the Moth podcast is one of my yeah. favorites. Like the going back to sort of that idea of storytelling and furniture is so central to to community to gathering we gather around a dining table to have a family dinner whether it's every night or whether it's during that you know thanksgiving holiday season yeah yeah. exactly and so you know the chairs that we sit in and the tables we gather on there there's something so um I don't know what the right word is, but there's something so communal yep. about about furniture, and so it's, it's sen- pretty easy to it's find sentimental inspiration. in some oh, ways. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, like I I still have a chair, and it's just like one of those old crappy chairs that it was my grandmother's, and I still remember where it sat in her house, mm-hmm. and it's you know like, and I guess it's sentimental. I mean, like I still remember it, and and it's it's one of those things. I don't know. I mean, I think that that's, you know, really interesting. And that, again, becomes when you're doing a commission, like how does that play, you know, because you're you're it's like you're giving experience to somebody, which is pretty wild. Like that's actually a really heavy in a good way, a Mm -hmm. heavy, a heavy thing to like have. And I think artists do do that a lot. You know, it's like you probably had this experience when somebody bought one of your pieces and then like you'll see them like two years later or something and it's like oh i just love your whatever and and it really you know i, I look at it different every day and blah, and it's just that makes it real i guess yeah you know that that experience of like somebody else appreciating your hand and appreciating what you did but they're seeing it like completely different from how you made it. Yeah, and I think you have to, for a while, I was like sort of wanted to be in in control, especially of my more conceptual work. I had an I I knew where it came from, and so right. that's how I wanted people to see it. And it took me a long time to give up that control, to, to let the viewer process it and whatever – way here you're she giving the parameters pre- and letting them tell their own story yeah i mean you're still telling stories yeah and and so that release you know once you give a gift it's no longer right. yours and so now they're gonna infuse their own um traditions into yep. it and and their own their own story and so yeah it becomes this whole other thing far beyond what you could and even that story imagined. changes sometimes. Yeah. Like that, that's what I think becomes really cool because, you know, I've had people, you know, talk about again, like work, and I'm sh- again sure you've had this experience, and it's like you'll see them a year later, they're blah blah blah, saying this thing, and then like two years later, and then it's, it's a completely different experience, and it's just like wow, and then you know, then that goes back to the tree for me, for you, that it's 
it's a living thing. It's like, even though it's not living sense anymore, it's still living beyond itself because it's still, it's still giving the stories and it's changing and it's, it, and, and then like, you know, like maybe 50 years down the road, somebody else has this table and then it just takes on an entirely different life. And so it's just, uh, I don't know. It, yeah. You know, it gets really deep. Obviously. Yeah, uh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you go from one form into another form, from one function into another function. And yep. that transition, you know, we're always in a state of transition in, in life. So, like, there's something really powerful about that transition from becoming one thing to another. Yeah. Um, we're going to do these five question things, okay, but let's what did do you, it. what did you like, do you have anything else you want to like bring in before? No, this has been this? an awesome conversation. <laughs> yeah. well, we'll do more. Like that's, see, that's the thing is like these, you know, we're just starting out like, and uh, I, you know, like again, to, to me, it's like, it'd be cool to like talk again in two years because the conversation is going to be different. The stories are going to be different. Like maybe the work expanded in a mm-hmm. way you were not expecting. And that's what I, again, what I think is interesting about being creative is that there is no a right or wrong way to do stuff. It's always changing. Uh, you're always growing. Like you're like, again, for you, like maybe bringing in different materials like, and it's, it's, it's never ending. Like it's a lifelong pursuit for everybody. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky enough that we actually sell stuff. Um, but that's maybe not something that everybody needs or has to do, mm-hmm. but just to be able to be creative and do it is, I, I mean, I just think it's fascinating. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my this God. Is so, I'm so I'm, nervous. These are so, so, so ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> can, can we do it like on, um, oh, what's the, uh, I, oh, we, uh, what's we'll, one where you can pass and then you can go oh, back yes, to it Oh yes. Yeah. I don't know what the okay. game is, yeah, but yeah. yes, absolutely. We'll, we'll <laughs> Family actually, feud. we'll, we'll make some, <laughs> some, uh, like some music here okay. in the background Good. too. Like, you know, real, real game showy. Yes. Okay. Big, big first super important question. What are you listening to? Oh gosh. <laughs> Um, so podcasts, um, the moth yeah. and, um, I'm listening to Malcolm Gladwell's new book right now. But do you listen to any, like, do you listen to any, you said you don't listen to music when you're working. I listen to music when I okay. work. I'm a big Florence and the Machine Oh, nice. Okay. Fan. Yeah. And totally old school Coldplay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. oh, I mean, it really puts me in a group, but that's okay. I don't mind. That's, a, <laughs> that's classic. Um. And we've talked about this before, and, and I'm always happy when I come over to your house because you have a Seahawks flag out front. Heck yeah. But wh- is football your like favorite sport? And if if not, like, what's your favorite sport? And like, what's your favorite team? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. First off, go Hawks. Yeah. Yes. Um, See. So, <laughs> so growing up, I played soccer and basketball and uh, softball, and then in college, I rode crew, and my favorite sport to be a part of was crew. There's just something oh, cool. really, the team yep. is, you can't do one, you can't do anything without the other seven people, eight people in that boat with the coxswain. And we would do these drills, these eyes closed drills where you are, you're rowing and you are not, it's, it's only by feel and by feeling everyone else in that boat. And so, um, I know this is a long answer to this no, question, no, no, this but is, yeah. um, that 
that sense of team and the idea that you can be connected with a group of people so intimately um, was was a really powerful experience. And see, that again, that plays in the military thing. And this actually reminds me, you said one of the, the best kind of answers slash lines um, for at the symposium we had last year. And your, I don't remember what the question was, but I remember you said, for you, art is a bridge. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, that's a really beautiful way to say it. Because it is. I mean, you know, like, I can't, I don't want to get, a, you know, into it too deep, but it is. Like, and I, I thought you really concisely, like, you talked about being on the stage with some other athletes and stuff, and you felt out of place, but I don't think that you were like, as a matter of fact, I think it was like very much a leader in how you were like answering the questions and in terms of that. So off topics, see long answers, get long, stupid ass responses. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. So you sort of answered this, but if you could play any pro sport, what would it be? Well, totally soccer because um, hello, the U.S. women's soccer team is the bomb. Yes, yes, they (laughs) are. So there you go. Uh, (laughs) Easy. We we don't even need to go any further into that one. (laughs) Done. um, What do you, like, so you've done, you've been doing a lot of traveling. So this is going to be a random question. What are your favorite restaurants? And you can answer that in names of restaurants or Mm. types of foods or both. And we're just in Chicago. I mean, yeah. there's got to be some, you know. There, yeah, that's a great question. I am a fan of places that have really good beer, <laughs> craft beer. Um, I mean, locally. Oh gosh, I don't. I don't want to say some names because then I, <laughs> then I'm gonna feel bad about others. But um, oh man. Say say one from another state so we don't. No, you can say this is this is you know this is an international podcast so we don't. Yeah, listen. Know. So the so when people like visit Richmond, they can visit. Yeah. Listen, or, go to ZZQ. You cannot get any better barbecue <laughs> than ZZQ. Okay, done. I, I agree. With that. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> so, um, and this is really the most important question okay. and the coolest question because this is specific to you. What is the best helicopter maneuver you've ever done? <laughs> well, uh, the funniest one was one that was done to me, and uh, we were it was um, <laughs> we were flying in Iraq actually, and um, my now partner um, was the was the senior pilot, and I was the co pilot, and we were I was getting ready to make a radio call, and so she timed it just as I was getting ready to make the radio call. She like sort of lifted the helicopter up and then back down again so you sort of have that drop yeah, in the roller coaster in, ride. yeah the roller coaster and and so <laughs> i had this very funny sounding call to baghdad radio it was like baghdad radio <laughs> <laughs> so that's the probably the funniest maneuver that's been done to me because uh, you can you can make the helicopter do a lot of um, a lot of impressive things it can turn on it for something that weighs 11,400 pounds without anybody in it it can turn on a dime um, I mean that that experience just has to be it's just otherworldly it, it's pretty sort of looking at it more philosophically like you could control something so massive and it was just the most delicate maneuver of the cyclic or the collective and it would 
it would have such a ripple effect. And so you can change it for me, you can change something massive and overwhelming and much more beyond yourself with just the smallest of touches. And so that has really resonated as, as a mindset and as a philosophy in life, actually. God, that was a perfect ending. Holy crap. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know that, she just gave me the wink that, yes, I just answered that question perfectly. Okay, well, again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for doing this. And we will, um, I think we'll definitely continue this uh, because I think the conversation is, I think we just started. Yeah. um, Really, truly. uh, And, yeah. So we're just going to leave it at that. And and uh, thank you, Alicia. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Ron. I yeah, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to Alicia Dietz. And as always, for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. Really some great stories of her military career. And again, check out her remarkable work on Instagram at Alicia Dietz Studios. That's D-I-E-T-Z Studios. Big thanks again to the Dammits for allowing us to play some amazing music. They again have a new release called Crooked Things, which you can find on Bandcamp and iTunes. Again, remember to check out our new podcast, The Abstract Doctors, which you can find at theabstractdoctors.com and on social media platforms under The Abstract Doctors. Please stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, and our social media outlets for future events, pop-up exhibits, podcasts, and other information. See you soon as we talk with father and daughter, a couple of really great artists and former amazing athletes, Hillary Worth and Dennis Worth. Thanks again, and do not forget to exercise the body and exercise the mind. Stay safe out there.